Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Happy Academy podcast. My name is Neil Black, and I am not an expert in mental health. I am a dad, a husband, and a teacher, and I have suffered with poor mental health. This podcast has been created in order to open up the conversation surrounding mental health in educators. Each episode will centre around one educator who has suffered or does suffer with a mental health issue, and it will be an opportunity for them to share their story and their journey. It does not have to be an issue caused by education. Mental health is a subject where there is still a stigma attached. And the hope is that these stories may well help somebody to realise that they are not alone, but also to help them to understand a range of coping mechanisms to support their own journey. I would also like to share good news stories and your messages of positivity and gratitude, and I'll tell you how you can get involved later in the podcast. Right, it's time to get started, and as an opportunity to show you how this is going to work, I'm going to share my own story. Hi, I'm Neil and I suffer with anxiety and depression. I suppose there were some signs as a child that I had some form of anxiety. I've always hated speaking to people on the phone and that remains to this day. I also used to really dislike being told by my parents to go and play with other kids that might be kicking a ball around. Something else I continue to dislike is big crowds of people or busy places and also being late to anything. In the 90s, mental health certainly wasn't as talked about as it is today and I always just assumed I was shy. Uh, People who knew me would definitely not describe me as shy. Um, I trained as a drama teacher and um, generally quite a loud person. If I skip forward to October 2016, um, this is the point in my life I had two children. I was married, I was a homeowner, I'd been working as a primary school teacher for almost three years and life was really good. Um, I clearly masked any anxieties that I had to the point where actually life felt normal and just felt like that that was part of me. Um, My son, Stanley, was born on the 10th of October and the midwife hadn't arrived at the house, we were having a home birth and she hadn't arrived there yet. Um, So I was the first person to see him and to touch him and to find out that he was male, him, the baby boy. Uh, It was incredible. Um, Literally an unbelievable moment in my life. Uh, We were all buzzing. Um, And every appointment that we had with the doctors and midwives, everything was fine. And we settled into having another baby. Um, we noticed that one thing that that was happening every now and again was that Stanley would take in some funny breaths. He would start breathing quickly um, for just short periods of time and then go back to normal. And we had no reason to worry because everything else was fine. He was sleeping well. He was feeding really well. But it's just one of those things that just niggles away. It just kind of happens and it just kind of sits in your brain for a bit longer than normal so kind of trusting our gut instinct um, a little bit we decided that a week after he was born to to contact the midwife um, and we made an she made an appointment um, for the following day at the local hospital now obviously this 
was a concern to us, um, but we weren't worried enough to warrant both of us going to the appointment. Um, so we didn't ask anybody to have the kids. I stayed at home and my wife took Stanley. Um, while they were out, we carried on as normal and we got lunch ready. I just made some lunch and then I got a phone call. My phone started ringing and it was my wife and she was just sobbing. Um, I needed to get to the hospital. Something was wrong, but nobody seemed to know what. Um, I still remember now dumping my lunch on the kitchen table, just on the plate. Um, just grabbing all of the kids' things together and being taken to the hospital by my father-in-law and having no idea about what I was about to walk into. Um, but nobody knew. Nobody knew anything. Uh, there was lots of doctors and nurses around him when I got in there, but nobody could say what they thought was wrong. They thought it was sepsis to start with. Um, so he was being given oxygen. Um, we knew that the oxygen saturation in Stanley's blood was in the 60 to 70% bracket. Um, it should be 100%. Um, and he was, he was really quite poorly. Um, and so bearing in mind this is all kind of, I'm, I'm getting there around lunchtime, it wasn't till about 10.30pm that a consultant had a thought about checking his heart and actually this played a, a really big part in, in saving his life. Um, I'm just going to pause a moment because I want to assure you that this is, this is a good ending. Uh, Stanley is absolutely fit and well now. Um, for those of you that follow me on Twitter, see that I post pictures of him all the time. Um, he's three years old and he is absolutely my hero. Um, absolutely my hero. Um, so the story ends well, but I wanted you to hear the story of how it all got to where it is today because that goes some way to um, explaining my own mental health and where my anxieties didn't necessarily completely stem from but where we think a lot of the kind of depression side of things kicked in for me so they scan his heart in in the hospital and we find out that there is something wrong um but there's some uncertainty as to exactly what is wrong um so we're transferred to a specialist hospital that's glenfield hospital in leicester um, the ambulance came, uh, we were told that neither of us could go in with him in the ambulance because there wasn't room, um, so we followed in the car, and when we got there, and I still remember this now, and it's a silly thing, but when we got there, bearing in mind he's extremely poorly as our baby, he's a week old, we didn't know where we were going, we did not been to this hospital before, we parked in Every odd, every odd car park, you know, this is three o'clock in the morning. The loads of the doors to the hospital aren't open, so we we drove around car parks for about 15 minutes trying to find the right one. And then, so when we get into the hospital, um, he was already there, he's in the paediatric intensive care unit. Um, and when we turn up, he's already there, and we're told that he's very poorly. And we were allowed to go in to see him. 
Uh, he was on a ventilator with lots of wires, tubes, and that were attached to a range of different medicines. And we were told to go get some sleep <laughs> and that we would be given more information when they had it. Um, and this, the next part is where it's the first and only time in my life that I genuinely had a true out-of-body experience. At about five in the morning, there was a knock on the door and we were given a, a room in the hospital, supported by a charity called Heartlink. They're really good for the hospital. They had a, their parents' room and we had a knock on the door, 5am. Um, and we were taken into a room within the intensive care unit. Yeah, I think they called it the parent room or the relatives room, something like that. And we were told that um, Stanley had a severe coarctation or a narrowing of his aortic arch and a ventricular septal defect or a VSD, which is essentially a hole between the bottom two chambers of his heart. Um, in essence, his blood's not being pumped around the rest of his body effectively um, and his heart was now failing. Uh, they were going to have to do open heart surgery to fix him. And listening to this conversation was, or being a part of the conversation, was just the oddest thing. I, I, at the time, I felt like I was watching a film or a TV drama. It's the sort of thing that you imagine seeing on the television. And I just couldn't believe that this was happening. You know, from the joy of just a week earlier and even... To a point to that morning, you know, the more that morning before where everything was okay, we were just going to get him checked out. To 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 now, the absolute pit of misery. It was, it was quite incomprehensible, and and I think that that part of that kind of process of being fun and then all of a sudden dropped like a stone, like a a massive boulder to the bottom of of a river or the ocean. It's a bit like that. It just moved so quickly to being he, him seeming fine, to being hooked up to a ventilator with all these medicines and still, you know, knowing what's wrong but not really knowing what it means. I think that played a big part in, in kind of how I how this whole process has, has affected me because it was it was just such a massive switch and a massive change to, to what life was like. Before his surgery, because he wasn't in a fit state to have his surgery straight away, so he needed to build up his strength. Um, so we met with his surgeon, who is another incredible person that I will never, ever forget. Um, he explained everything. Um, we had to sign the form that says that we understand the potential consequences of his surgery, which is a form that I would never want to have to sign I wouldn't ever want uh, another parent to have to sign because we're essentially signing to say that we know what could potentially happen and in this case open heart surgery there was a potential chance for things ending particularly terribly um, but we had to sign it if he was to have it and he needed it so we did um, and three days after admission and he was just 11 days old uh, we walked him to his open heart surgery uh, as a distraction we were advised to leave hospital site 
to take our minds off it rather than just sitting around waiting. So we went to Foss Park in Leicester. But it's really hard to act normally. You have people there that are doing their shopping, you know, having a good time, getting some lunch. You know, we had people, charity collectors, asking us for money for all sorts of different things. And we're just, we can't, we can't get what's happening out of our brains. Um, so we did what we could there. And we went back to the hospital. We were told it would probably take about six hours. Um, we didn't see Stanley for 12 hours. Um, by the time we did see him again, he was still really poorly. Uh, the surgery was successful. That had worked, but his heart struggled to start again, coming off of the heart, um, the bypass machine. Um, so he was placed on something called ECMO, um, which is essentially another machine which pumped his blood um, and oxygenated it for him, but it did it externally. So they had to leave his chest open and the tubes would come out of his body. The the one the, um, cannula is in his heart. One would take the blood away, oxygenate it in a, a kind of little canister thing, then send it back round. Um, so he was still getting his blood. It was still being oxygenated um, externally. But his chest was open, so I, I could see his heart I could physically see his heart. Um, but they hadn't quite managed to settle him after his surgery and, and get him set on the ECMO. His blood pressure was all over the place. And they were trying to pace his heart, but it just it wasn't quite working. And the you could tell the nurses, they literally, they have done the most amazing job, but you could tell that they weren't particularly happy with his condition. Um, so I uh, made a decision and I walked away from that situation. Bearing in mind, you know, it's been 12 hours it's it's midnight i went in to see him i saw what was going on i could feel in myself something rising that up you know and so I, I walked away i went back to the room and my wife stayed with him for a little bit longer and i think back to that moment quite a lot um and i think it says quite about a bit about me um when we hear or talk about fight or flight i've always been a flyer um, i run away for my own self-preservation. Uh, it's the reason that I don't really have any contact at all with people that I went to school or university with. Um, and I f sometimes feel guilty about that. Uh, I feel guilty about those moments where I do run away, where I do walk away. Um, but at the same time, that's obviously the way I'm wired. Um, and actually... In that moment or in those moments, I do what's right because actually if I'm going to, to lose it, I, I can't, I obviously don't have that fight part. So if I'm going to get in a position where I'm really kind of struggling mentally with something, I'm not going to be of any use to anybody in that situation. So I take myself away, I try and calm myself down, get it right in my head and, and do it that way. Um, I've tried to accept that. It doesn't sit nicely with me. I want to be somebody who fights. Um, but in those extreme circumstances, I'm clearly not. But I have to understand, I have to accept and to understand that, that it's okay. That's who I am. And actually, I need to love who I am. Um, which is not always as easy as, as it sounds. But that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to love who I am. So after a couple of days, 
um, Stanley successfully came off of the ECMO machine, and after that, they he started making strides to being well again. They they moved the process really quickly. They wanted to get him off the ventilator as quickly as possible after that, um, and so they did. But because of and because of the process, because of the ventilation, um, once they took him off, they didn't take him off completely. They were still giving him oxygen, um, but just not as much. And um, because of, of the kind of process, one of his lungs collapsed. Um, but apparently it's quite common after having so much support with the breathing. Um, so we got through that as well. And on the 31st of October, uh, he was moved to the ward, which was a, a wonderful day. Um, and on the 4th of November, we were allowed to take him home, which which was, again... One of the scariest days, but the the best day um, to, to, to bring him home. And bear in mind, he's not even yet a month old at this point. And he's been through more than, than most people go through a lifetime. And uh, so had we, actually. So had we. And we had support all the way through. Our parents looked after Georgia and Harriet, our daughters. Um, and they would keep us going, but they didn't truly understand what it was like. Um... Nobody did, unless we talked to people that had been through it themselves, which there were people there, obviously, to talk to. But outside of that, nobody really quite understands exactly what it feels like. Um, and it, and even though we spent so much time in hospital, we we lived in that hospital for, for 17 days. And it sounds really odd because, obviously, we can't spend all of that time with Stanley because they have to do... Um, rounds and observations and doctors have their meetings and walkthroughs and if there's been somebody in surgery they close the ward off and all of those things so we had a lot of time together but we didn't have time to sit and reflect about what was going on really everything that we had was was thoughts energy it all went into stanley and thinking about him and thinking of, you know, just sending those positive thoughts to make, you know, to think, oh, please be, please be better this time or please make this observation more positive. We're going to take a break for a moment there and read out some of the things that you have been grateful for this week. Kevin Cobain had a fabulous teachers as readers meeting, rescued an ailing magpie stranded in the middle of the road, which, after a rest and hydration, flew away back to the wild and had a fleeting glimpse of a deer on our daily walk with Buster the Wonder Dog. That's great, Kev. You can follow Kev on Twitter. He is at KevC46. Um, Georgie Kerr at Miss K Primary says that being able to access so much brilliant online CPD for free and reading lots of books, um, she's grateful for those things and I couldn't agree more. Um, Mrs H at Mrs HGRPS is thankful that her husband doesn't have to go into work today and she won't be at home alone all day. Uh, Mrs Darling at teacher underscore dal 87 
Uh, I'm grateful for this little cutie, my six-month-old baby. He only woke up once last night. We had been averaging one wake up every two hours previously. I feel much more human today. And she sent a lovely, lovely photograph of her beautiful, beautiful baby. Um, English Teaching in Action, or at Mr. Hodge Teaches, is thankful for books. They have been my escape outside during lockdown and normally are the foundation of my daily work. Again, couldn't agree more. Brilliant to have so many books there. Uh, Steph Kimball, at Miss S underscore Kimball. I'm thankful to be able to have the time to go out and actually enjoy nature in all its glory. And again, some lovely photographs there. And Steph did a lovely uh, piece of art um, with the podcast name on it. Um, go check back through um, the Twitter feed of at Happy Academy Pod and you'll find it there. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, Mrs. F, that's Mrs. at Mrs. FYR2. Uh, my garden, the excitement and peace that comes from growing and sitting in it. Poppies are out this week, always a sign of summer, which is always a good thing i think um hannah at mrs jt underscore y6 coffee my husband for putting up with my hormonal pregnant self sharing of resources to help fellow teachers and this weather has been rather lovely as well absolutely cannot agree more with that um and mrs k at spirited summer today i'm grateful for midwives who helped my friend through a rough pregnancy and birth a healthy, gorgeous baby boy yesterday was the result. Thank you, midwives. You rock. Now, as the husband of a midwife, I can't help but agree, but um, I'm really glad to hear that everything ended up going well. Uh, Mrs. K is also grateful for coffee. All of the coffee. Um, David Keat, at Mr. K Teacher. Twitter is really fantastic. Um, has introduced me to some fantastic people. Uh, The generosity of people in the teaching community is huge and I couldn't be more grateful for it. And I echo those sentiments as well. Um, Jack Graves, at Jackie Graves. I came home to a postcard from my mum with a picture of my whole family on the front. Proper made me smile. That must be lovely at times like this. And Maxine Mitchell, at Artle Knock. Uh, It's been lovely going for a walk and chatting every day with my daughter. She's furloughed. We would never usually have the time for this. Those are all um, messages of people, of things that people are thankful for and grateful for at the moment. And I think what we're seeing is that people are allowed to do things that are a little bit different at the moment. And that's been really nice to see adapting to a difficult um, set of circumstances. So if you would like to feature on the next episode of the Happy Academy podcast, then make sure you either comment on a post that is put out or send a DM to at Happy Academy pod. Or if you want to, I sometimes send out links where you can send in a voice message so you get to hear your voice on here. So it's not just mine. Um, So reply to those as well, please. Um, But what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, pick up the story where we left off. Uh, Once we had uh, got home with Stanley, um, I was signed off of work until the Christmas break and I went back to work in the January. Um, Now, I've always wanted to talk about the whole situation, but uh, understandably, everyone else assumed I didn't, so I just didn't. Um, After a while, 
we even stop talking about it at home because obviously it causes upset. It's quite fresh and raw. Um, so we didn't talk about it. Um, and after a while, all of those feelings that you might have had, whether they be anxieties at a time, whatever, the more you get used to it. It's like an immune system, isn't it? You kind of get used to it and then it becomes normal. Um, it becomes normal to have those feelings. It becomes normal to have those thoughts, whether it's normal or not, whatever normal is, but whatever, you know, whatever it is thinking, you're thinking, it becomes your new normal, um, which is a dangerous thing and not necessarily something people really think about. And during the next three years, leading up to March this year, so only a couple of months ago, I really started to struggle with how I was feeling. Um, I had a real issue with how people perceived me. I thought that everybody thought I was an idiot or I was a rubbish teacher or a rubbish husband or a rubbish dad. I was convinced that my wife and children would be better off finding a new man in their lives. Um, and I, I haven't had any suicidal thoughts as such, um, but I thought that everybody would be much better off without me around. Uh, I, I started to ca uh, I started to catastrophize things. So I was certain that anything bad that could go wrong would. If I got ill, I was probably dying. Um, if the children went to the park, they were going to fall over and break a bone. But once again, over a prolonged period of time, you kind of keep it inside. It becomes normal to feel that way. And, and in my mind, nothing was wrong. That's just how I felt. And therefore, in my head, everybody felt that way. Um, teaching uh, is a naturally stressful job lots of elements to complete maybe before a set time I was teaching you six at the time which was an added pressure there was a profession to perform to constantly make positive progress um, and then you feel like you're rubbish when it doesn't happen um, in January 2019 I self-certified for a week because I was in a bad headspace I needed some time away I took a week and in that week, I was introduced to some books that really helped, uh, and in particular, um, Quiet by Fern Cotton. Um, and it was like I was reading about myself. Uh, I didn't feel alone. And I went back to work, and my head teacher sat with me and was really so supportive and told me that I should speak to somebody, especially with everything that had happened with Stanley, um, that I should speak to somebody about it. And my wife had been saying the same thing. And of course, being stubborn British male that I am, I didn't. And life went on. Um, but then other things started to happen. So I started to have heart palpitations. And at the time, I didn't link it with any form of anxiety or stress. I thought that was something was wrong with my heart. I started to get um, a, a clicking sound in my right ear that I couldn't shift. You doctor Google it and it comes back as tinnitus. But again, you don't associate that with anxiety or stress. Well, I certainly didn't at the time. Um, I would look in the mirror and it was as if I couldn't see myself, that the person staring back at me wasn't me anymore. Um... Getting up in the morning was really hard and I just didn't feel like the person that I used to be. 
and I can honestly say this, I, I hated myself. Um, my wife tells me now that I was becoming really short and snappy with the children. So early on in March 2020, I, I couldn't go into work. I emailed the head and she replied, we can all see that you're struggling. Take the time you need and get better. And that shocked me. Um, I thought I was hiding it really well. Um, feelings were in the inside and I was managing them. Um, it turns out that I wasn't doing a very good job of that. Uh, so I had a week. I'd made an appointment with a doctor. And the hope was that maybe she would arrange some counselling sessions for me. Um, I was really dead set against medication uh, because I felt that other people would use that as a way to define who I was. I told the doctor everything that I'd been feeling um, and she said that I'm suffering from, from anxiety and depression. Um, and while I may have had some anxieties before when I was a child and growing up, um, it's clear that the majority of it all stemmed from experiencing seeing Stanley in hospital, certainly the depression side of it. Um, and I was prescribed uh, citalopram, which is a form of medication, and uh, I went home. And I was told that the, it should take about four weeks for the medication to kick in. Um, so essentially, uh, if you're not sure, citalopram, it slows down the rate at which serotonin is absorbed, um, which therefore restores the balance of um, serotonin in your brain, which is is, is all to do with, with your mood. Um, my first concern coming out of the doctors was that she'd got it wrong um, and that maybe I was fine and I was just duping her and I was, I'd fooled her into thinking that I was I was this way and I didn't need medication and I even got to the point where I was doctor googling again and asking questions like what if you take citalopram and don't need to um, and again it's just that that kind of um, feeling that I had about myself that you know whether I was trying to convince myself that I was okay or just trying to convince myself that I'd done a horrible thing and, and fooled somebody into thinking that I'm depressed and anxious and don't need this medication um, but I took my first tablet on the 11th of March and after a few weeks I'd occasionally wake up and just feel great feel really good and this bearing in mind this is at the start of the kind of time when the coronavirus was really hitting us and we were on lockdown and I remember when it was first happening and my kids had a bit of a cold and and a cough and um i was i i absolutely panicked my wife went to work one day when she came home i just went straight up to her hugged her held her tight for ages i was so worried but after a few weeks that kind of started to go away um and i felt i did i felt absolutely great um and you know it was just nice to have positivity and energy um, it was just a really good feeling. As time went on, it became the same every day. And, and I've been allowed to start dealing with my emotions. Um, if, thing, if things feel like they get a bit tough, I go for a walk. I do some drawing or some reading. I'm able to take a step back. Um, I'm much more patient. Um, but actually, more than anything, I've been allowed to start talking again. I've allowed myself to talk. Um, and I feel much more like my old self. Now the medication is helping with that. It, I'm, I've just I've made it clear in my head that it's not the medication that defines who I am and makes me who I am. It's like I, I compare it to like having a headache. If I have a headache, I take a paracetamol, my headache goes away. Now it's not the paracetamol that's making me who I am, because that's always in there. 
the headache stopped me from being who I was. Obviously, it's not a headache. We're talking about this, this, um, this feeling in my brain where I'm not getting the serotonin, the, the the chemical that I need. That was stopping me from being who I am. The medication is allowing me to be who I am, but it doesn't define me because the person that is me is already there. Um, not every day is great. You still have moments, but the majority are, and you have little things. I find websites. Um, like Spiffy, who offer positive, uh, positive and motivational products. They really help. Um, I start to write down three good things that have happened each day to remind myself of the positives of the day. And my mindset has changed. I've just had, it's just all had a really positive impact. Um, if I could give advice to somebody who is unsure as to whether they should speak to somebody, whether it be a loved one or a doctor, I would say that you should 100% do it. It's really hard. It's really, really hard to do. Um, and it was really upsetting. I sat in the, uh, sat in the uh, doctor's waiting room. I was so nervous. And I was sweating. I cried in there. Couldn't help it. Just cried. But it completely changed my life. I can't change what happened with Stanley. Um, I can't change who I am in terms of my wiring. But I can help myself. Um, whether that's by making sure I take my medication, going for walks, doing some drawing, doing some reading, by talking. Anxiety and depression is not your fault. It's a medical condition. It can't be completely seen physically. I didn't know I was depressed. I knew I had anxiety. I'm dealing with it. I'm able to see positive things in life, even during these negative times. And, and so much negativity, so much uncertainty. Teachers on Twitter really struggling, and I completely understand. But I'm trying to, to stay positive and try and spread that positive message to those that, that need to hear it. Don't suffer in silence. You know, I did. And things, you know, I've missed out on things. I missed... Um the kind of last period of time at my old school. I've started a new job. I started a new job in, over after Easter. So I missed that, that final stretch before the lockdown. That's something that, at the time, I felt really guilty for. But I did it to make sure that I got better. And I'm better. Well, I'm on my way to being better. I wish I'd spoken out sooner. And... I think, maybe it sounds a bit like a cliche, but don't suffer in silence. And it's always easier said than done. Um, but if you're somebody and you notice somebody else who doesn't seem like themselves, then reach out, check in. I sent a tweet out a few months ago now about being a lighthouse. Everybody has their dark moments, but as people, as individuals, we can be lighthouses to them. We can guide them somewhere safe. We can look after them. So my advice to somebody is to talk, don't suffer in silence, and be a lighthouse. Thanks for listening. Well... There we have the first episode of the Happy Academy podcast wrapped up. I hope that this episode has helped you to see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. 
You need to speak out and learn to love yourself. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you would like to get involved in sharing your good news stories or your gratitude, or maybe you would like to share your journey, all you have to do is head to Twitter and follow at Happy Academy Pod and send us a message. If you would like to follow me, my name is Neil Black. My Twitter handle is at TeachUsMrBlack. And I want you to stay safe, stay positive and keep smiling. See you next time on the Happy Academy podcast.